starting there in verse number 21. We went through the first 20 verses. I'll recap that here in just a second. But let's pick it up in verse number 21 of Acts chapter 10. It says, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from, from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a, a just man, one that feareth God and of one of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morning, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the morrow, after they entered into, uh, into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them. And he called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore for what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly love you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message this morning. I pray that your word would have free course. Lord, that you would use this to draw us closer to you, to strengthen us. Again, Lord, may you be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been genuinely converted, Lord, I pray that even this morning they would repent and place their faith solely in Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, two weeks ago, or before I left, uh, we started chapter 10. And again, it's one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts. It has just a significant event here that takes place. Uh, really, perhaps the most important single event that has taken place since the day of Pentecost uh, at this time in church history. The command, of course, had been given by the Lord Jesus Christ time and time again to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But that was not happening. It wasn't happening out of rebellion. You cannot look at Peter's actions as the same actions as Jonah. Uh, Jonah, when Jonah received the command to go to the Assyrians to preach, um, he refused. He actually refused, concerned God would actually save them. 
Remember, they were the terrorists of that day. There was so much going on. They were the, at the time, I remember when I preached through Jonah, ISIS was a major deal. And it was, a, it was an equal comparison to say that the Assyrians of that time were the ISIS of that day. They were brutal. And so Jonah's was more out of rebellion. Peter's, in his mind right now, as well as the rest of the converted Jews, because up to this point, the church is primarily all converted uh, uh, Jews. That's it. So Peter has been basing in the others of not going to Gentiles, those who are not Jews, from what they believe to be a sound theological standpoint. Even though they had heard the Lord tell them time and time again, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I mean, he couldn't get more specific to every creature. But it was not happening. The idea of bringing the gospel in and having that that measure of fellowship and oneness into a same uh, unity and bond and and like into a local church was that was a hard concept for them to grasp. It went against everything they've been taught from growing up from a religious perspective. Last a couple of weeks ago, I talked to some of the rules they've been put in place that were even beyond scripture when it came to the Gentiles. I've even included one or two more that I, that I did not bring up last week. Remember, we talked about Gentile dirt. It was considered that the dust from the dirt of a Gentile country was defiled. So when they would get ready to come back into Israel, they would remove their shoes and their sandals and they'd clear all the dust off them because they did not want their, what they viewed as, as that dirty, unclean dirt to come into the nation of Israel. It was never to be mingled, they said, with Israeli soil. That's where the phrase, shake the dust of your shoes, comes from. Milk could not come from a cow where a Gentile was used to draw it out. Bread and oil could not be prepared by a Gentile. Obviously, there was no eating with a Gentile. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, do you know what they did? They held a funeral. The Gentiles, in return, of course, also had a, had a, began to despise the nation of Israel. They looked on the Jews as slave material. They were persecuted, oppressed, slaughtered. Of course, much of their oppression against them would also have been very much satanic driven. So anyhow, it was ingrained in every Jewish person, you avoid Gentiles. They're unclean. You separate from them. Peter believed this. The Lord would need to do some preparation to change this. There literally needs to be a paradigm shift in how he is thinking. And that's what the Lord is doing. So chapter 10, when we looked at last week, was the Lord beginning to do that. He had to prepare both people. He had to prepare Cornelius and he had to prepare Peter. It starts off with the Lord allowing an angel to appear unto Cornelius. We learned several things about him two weeks ago. His faith, uh, his family, and his fervency. We see a man who had fervency, he prayed always, he, he, had, he had repented and turned from the idolatry and the pagan gods of Rome and Greece. He truly believed there was one true God, the Creator. And the Lord heard his prayers, and the angel comes and instructs him, you sin for this man named Peter. And he gave him the address of right where he was staying. And this wasn't just, this was a Roman military officer. Centurion, remember, a legion at 6,000 was broken, in, broken into uh, um, uh, the 10 co- cohorts of 600. And then, uh, and under their leadership, they would assign an officer and break that into six groups of 100. And he's in charge of one of those 100. 
So we saw his preparation as the angel came to him. And I'm, I'll probably finish up with this, but th- there's a great principle there. We have so many today that actually believe if you're just religious, if you just serve God as you know, it's good enough. But we see scripturally time and time again, that is never true. He needed more truth. And then we saw the preparation of Peter. Peter being hungry, the meals being prepared. At lunch, he heads up onto the rooftop, a common place to pray, fellowship, everything. He's there. He goes into a trance. So the only thing he can concentrate on all of a sudden, the Lord gives him is this vision. And in this vision is a sheet. And inside this sheet is, is, is clean food and unclean. Clean meats and unclean. And, and it's coming down from heaven. And the voice comes, uh, does it three times to stress the importance. And, and the voice, uh, he hears from heaven saying, rise, kill and eat. And Peter being Peter, not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean. He says, what I have called unclean, or what I have cleansed, don't you call unclean. And Peter still would be, Trying to understand grass. Remember what he believed his entire life. I mean, he held to this view from a theological standpoint. And now God is telling him it's okay. And yes, he wa- and the Lord was changing the prohibition that was in the Old Testament. And last week we looked at why it was there. The Bible tells us why the prohibition was in place for these unclean meats. It wasn't just because they were foods likely to make you sick. That wasn't what the reason Scripture gives. Uh, that certainly was true in many of those cases. But the reason the Lord stressed was because of the, of the feast. It allowed for a separation from Gentiles, from the other nations. They could not go and partake of those feasts. Again, Peter did not have full understanding, but he's about to. See, there are times the Lord does have to even prepare us. There are times the Lord has to change what we believe. There are times he has to change literally how we even view life. Where what we thought we realized is no longer true. I was believing something not true. I remember as I was hearing the gospel when Pastor John Norris led me to the Lord, those thoughts hitting me. I've been believing a lie. What I was trusting for salvation from church and baptism and communion, none of it was true. We need to operate from what is true. I mean, think of what happened in the Garden of Eden with Eve. When all of a sudden she believed something... That wasn't true. And she made a decision based on it. Again, when you base decisions in life on something that's not true, it has ramifications. I mean, there was times when the people believed the world was flat. Sadly, some still do. And that had ramifications. There were times when men believed that if you let the blood out of a sick person, it could actually cure him. That had ramifications. It wasn't true. There were times to believe that Michigan was actually a pleasant state. Wait, no, that was never true. That was, that was never true. I'm sorry about that. I love all my Michigan people. 
Supper, Steve. The fact is, we all have believed things at a time that were true, but they were not. I can think even when I was preparing this this week, I remember one thing came to mind. We are going through the Gospel of Matthew. This would have been three and a half years ago. And little did I know, as I was coming up on the section where the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching on marriage and divorce, I would have to change something in my views. I would have to change a position that I had held to. Because when I actually studied out and I saw it, I'm like, I see what it's teaching. It was different than what I held to. It wasn't easy because I knew the common position within independent fundamental Baptist churches. And yet I saw it clearly in Scripture. There are times when you believe things that simply are not true. The fact is the Lord can change you. Be willing to stay loyal to the Lord and not to your pride, not to your pride and not to your position. So now as we come here, we come to the second part of the conversion of Cornelius, and I call this the arrival. I'm going to break this down into three points. The appeal, the arrival, and the awaiting. Let's first look at the appeal, verse number 21. It says, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among all nations uh, of, among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And in the morning, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So again, prior to this, Peter is having the, the vision of the meats. He had, he had just heard the Lord tell him, um, the voice spake second, second time what God hath cleansed, uh, that call not thou common, this was done thrice. While Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry uh, for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So why this is taking place, and, and Peter is confused. What, did, what exactly does this mean? I mean, this is going to be, this will be a major paradigm shift for him. He's doubting, not quite understanding. And at the same moment, there's men arriving at the house and the Lord says, there's men there, go down there to them. Head to them. Now what the Lord doesn't tell them is they're Gentiles. He doesn't let them know that. So Peter heads down. No doubt he probably, I, I would imagine here is maybe a servant of the house or probably Simon the Tanner himself would be my guest. And they're talking with this man. And I'd imagine Simon's a little bit concerned. He has a Roman soldier at his house. Oh, two, two servants right there. There's probably a measure of concern for him. But Peter comes down and really puts everything to rest immediately. Let's him know I'm the one that you are seeking for. And Peter begins to hear the words of these men. And he begins to realize, I wasn't the only one with a vision. It's not just me. You can just imagine, as he sees Gentile men, the vision, the timing of it all. Things are starting to click for Peter. He's starting to understand. 
<clears throat> Remember, he just saw the vision of the meat. The purpose which Peter knows very well that he put the prohibition, prohibition on these unclean meats to begin with was a separation from Gentiles. Now there's Gentile people standing at his door. Peter wondering, is it possible that the wall of partition is down? Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. Could in fact Christ, through what he did, make all men one? Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse number 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are, called uncircumc- uh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus... Ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Christ has made us one. That wall is down. He goes on. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the, law, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off to them which were nigh. For through him... We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. We're the same. Equal access through what Christ did. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That's good stuff. What Paul is teaching here in Ephesians 2 is what Peter is beginning to understand. And we'll get to that, into that next week, but when we see he's converted, you're just going to see Peter being oh, stunned. It's true. <clears throat> Christ does make us one. And we can see still how, even, even today, at how diligent the devil still works to cause the division and the hatred. I came across this missionary story as I was studying, studying this this week, and I want to quote it and read it. As a missionary was officiating in his church, he had started a communion service. And this is in, it doesn't give the nation in Africa, I don't think. Um, but l- let me read from the story. He said, beside him, the, the missionary, there sat an elder who was very old. In fact, he was an old chief of the Nagoni tribe uh, 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 by the name of Manly Hart. And there were many Nagoni in the congregation at this communion service. The old chief said that he could remember the days when the young warriors and the Nagoni had gone out to bloody their spears at the expense of other tribes, and they had left a trail of burned and devastating, uh, devastated towns and bloody bodies, and they came back leaving all the blood on their spears as kind of trophies of their killing. 
And they always dragged all the women back as booty. And the missionary recounted the fact that the two tribes, which the Nagoni were forever, forever and ever fighting against and slaughtering, were the Nisenga and the Tumbuka. And now, here in this church is a communion service. And, and, and those who are gathered, ready to partake, was the Nagoni tribe, the Nisenga tribe, and the Tumbuka. Once busily, uh, busily shedding each other's blood, now a one because of the blood of Jesus Christ, they gathered not to fight, but they gathered to share in love and remembrance of the Lord. It is amazing what the grace of God does. Christ does make us one. And so the appeal is made. Peter here, hears the appeal from the Roman soldier who says, he tells him about Cornelius, that, that he's one, a man that fears God. He had the vision and he pleads with Peter, please return with us. We need to hear your words. Just think how amazed Peter is right now. He's just had his vision. He's hearing these words of this man, that, a, a man that had turned from the idolatry of his day. But that still wasn't enough. He needed truth. And now Peter's hearing this appeal. Obviously this is of the Lord. They came right to the right house. They traveled for two days. 30 miles. And then Peter does something interesting here. It shows he's gaining understanding. He invites them in to stay the night. Think of that. That's huge. The word used for lodged is interesting. It's used a few times in the New Testament. It could have used several different words for that. The word lodged used here, though, it's the same one used in Hebrews for entertain angels unaware. It almost applies a measure of, of, of meeting needs and fellowship. He didn't just say, okay, go sleep there. You're a Gentile. We'll, we'll put you over there for now. No. They talked. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure Peter asking about Cornelius, them asking Peter about what is this all about. But there is no way any self-respecting Jew would invite Gentiles in to stay the night at his house. Peter just did it. The morning comes. Peter makes a very important decision. There, there are many times that the Lord does put things in our heart that we need to follow and obey. Peter decides to bring six men with him. This would be crucial. He's going to need witnesses because of what's getting ready to take place. And he now has three times the legal limit of witnesses in the Jewish law. He grabs six men. Converted brethren, they're going to travel with him. Again, he's going to need these witnesses. That was an important call for Peter to make. And now let's go on to point number two, the arrival. Back in Acts chapter 10, starting there in verse number 24. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and to call together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in 
and found many that were come together. That too would be important. And he said unto them, Ye know how that is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. Let's stop there. We now have the arrival. Peter and the other nine men total, the three who came and, and the six that he had, he had come with him to be witnesses, they make the two-day journey to Caesarea. Really, think about this. What I find interesting is the city that the Lord chose for this to take place. I mean, really, is there another city within the entire region that represents the world more than the one named after Caesar? Than the one that Herod the Great had the palace built? With all the commerce, the, 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 the paganism, the idolatry, the temples... And this is the place the Lord chose for this to take place. A city that encompassed or is a perfect picture of the world. And think of Peter. Peter, of course, this has been true now for Peter for, for some time. He's no longer in some little coastal town on the Sea of Galilee. Now, while those men went to get Peter, Cornelius was busy. This guy is a witness and a soul winner, and he's not even converted yet. He didn't waste the time that was given to him. He had, he had this angelic visit that, that met him and said, Listen, there's things you need to know, Cornelius, from the Almighty Creator. You sin for this man, Peter. Cornelius goes and gets family. He gets friends. You can just hear him pleading with them. Please, you need to be here for this. This is what it's all about. It's not about the drunkenness in the temples. It's not about the idolatry. It's not about Caesar. As he pleaded with different men to come, and many, the Bible says, did respond and wanted to hear the words of this man that would come. I mean, Cornelius knows truth is coming. He's about to find out, and he knows it, what life is actually all about. As Peter arrives at his house, Cornelius realized, you can see Cornelius anxiously awaiting for his arrival. Here comes Peter. Cornelius sees him. The Roman centurion. The Roman officer. Here was a Jew coming up, a man that prior, prior to his upbringing, let me say this, I don't know when it changed in his life, but on his upbringing, the man approaching him was simply good to be a slave. Something he wouldn't think twice about uh, uh, killing him. And now here he is walking up and Cornelius bows down and actually worships him. Keep in mind, from the Greeks and the Romans, that was reserved only for the gods. The only person on the earth that this man would have bowed down to and made that would have been Caesar himself. It does show how important he thought Peter was and as well as showing his need for truth. 
How easy it would have been, by the way, for Peter and his flesh to accept this honor and use this situation to promote himself. But instead, Peter chose the right course, obviously, to be a servant and not a celebrity. Peter didn't say, yes, my son, kiss my foot. Yes, kiss my ring. Peter said, stand up. I'm a man just like you are. What are you doing? Get up. Let me bring this up. Because this was my background as I grew up. I'm going to quote from a common Catholic theology book that they teach from. This is describing Peter and his purpose. If anyone says that the blessed apostle Peter was not constituted by Christ our Lord, prince of all apostles, and visible head of the church militant, or that he, Peter, directly and immediately received from our Lord Jesus Christ a primacy of honor only and not a, a, a one of true and proper jurisdiction, let him be anathema. In other words, as it said, quoted there, that he is the head of the church. I got news for you. Paul would strongly disagree with that. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only head of the church. He's it. It goes on. If anyone says that the Roman Pope is not the successor of blessed Peter, let him be anathema. It's really on this basis that you see the worship of the Pope take place. Now, when you're, you don't say that. You know you can't worship anything but God. But that's just pure semantics. I almost brought a picture up of people bowing down before the Pope, a current one. Bowing down on their knees. Well, well, that's just showing reverence. The word means to bow down. Uh, uh, the, the word worship has the idea of bowing down to show reverence. You can't change the definition. It's what's taking place. How did Peter respond when that happened to him? Get up. This type of reverence is only reserved for God. <clears throat> Peter then, as he enters with Cornelius, he sees the large gathering. Cornelius' relatives, his friends that had gathered, and they're all just looking at this man, Peter. Whatever he has to say, they know we have to hear this. They know it. They're all so eager to listen. As we're going through this, I don't know if I'm doing a good job of that. I'm trying, I want you to see the anticipation of them waiting to hear the words of Peter. So I, can, I want that ingrained in you so I can make this next statement. We have, the, we have the exact same message. We have the same truth. The same thing that the world needs to hear. Of the truth of why Jesus Christ was here. And how salvation is only in Him. We have the same message. Peter then tells of what God told him. Just, I think, for several, one, to put aside the obvious racism and division that had been in place between Gentiles and Jews. Listen, God told me, by the way, called no man unclean. Called no man. What God has cleansed, he said, I'm not doing that. He's understanding. Listen, there's no difference here. 
the barriers are broken down. Peter made a change based on God's word, and he has accepted that new standard. I love how Peter words it in verse 29, when he said, but, verse 28, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. That's impressive. He said without saying, it means without saying anything against it. It means without hesitation, without reluctance. Here it was, Peter, uh, he had, the, he had the, uh, uh, the, the vision in the trance. At the same moment, he goes down, the Gentiles are at the door, pleading with him to come and meet with this Roman centurion, a Gentile, to hear the message that he has been given by God. Heading into a Gentile's house to give him this message. Peter doesn't hesitate. Many times when we're challenged with something that, that we, even when we see it as truth from God, we tend to hesitate, to show reluctance. There's many different things that cause you, but, but pride or whatever it is. I remember when I was in New Guinea, and I had the, we had the two prominent churches that had dominated the village. Was, you've heard me say it was, of course, the Catholic Church and, and, and United. And I had, I had three united pastors that had converted. It was, all of them were incredible. But I, I remember one that I met one day. I was in, we were in Rastase, right, right near the little beautiful spring there of water. We used to wash clothes and we were without water. And I was talking with him. And I could see he was getting it. He was getting the truth. And I remember him openly admitting, telling me, I can't do this. Oh, he, he was a deacon. I take that back. He was, he, was not, he was a deacon in the church. He said, I'm a deacon. He goes, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to step aside from that. Even though he heard truth, he wasn't willing to let that go. There's many things, all of a sudden you hear truth, that many times that gainsaying can come into your heart. Of you trying to fight against it. Peter then asked Cornelius directly, why have you sent for me? He wants to hear it from him. I mean, he talked with those men that night. He heard him at his door even. But he goes right to Cornelius, I'm here. Tell me. That now comes to my last point, the awaiting or even the anticipation, I could have called, called, called this point. Verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who... When he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee. And thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here, present before God, to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. He tells them of their anticipation of their waiting. Cornelius tells them of the angelic visit that he had four days prior. How he was in instructed to send for Peter. 
He talks of how he had, he had been a man of prayer. He had been fasting and praying. The angel said, your pray, look, look at that, your prayer is heard. I wonder what he prayed about. You ever think about that? Now, I'm, I'm sure because he prayed always. He prayed about needs and different things. But I also do believe completely. I'll find out when I get to heaven because it doesn't tell us. Oh, I do believe he was playing, Lord, I want to know you. I know you're there. I know I don't know enough. I think it was a prayer to want to know the true God. He says, Peter, then I obeyed immediately. I sent for thee immediately. He says, listen, everyone is here present before God, eagerly waiting to hear the things that God has told you. Peter sees all of this taking place. I mean, right now, let's think about this. Peter is getting ready to preach. We're going to go through that message next Sunday. He's getting ready to preach. And to be, he has the perfect congregation right now, doesn't he? They're all present. They're all there. They all want to hear the word of God. And as we're going to see, they're going to listen. They're going to listen. They're going to obey what is said. But we have a beautiful picture here as we finish this up of the gathering of these people in Cornelius' house all waiting, waiting to hear the gospel. Listen, there's people still out there just like that. Be praying, Lord, as you go out, Lord, direct me. I, I, I know Roy had even te- texted me, I think, yesterday morning. He had one of those yesterday. A person who had just been waiting. Listen, God's just like when, when the Lord directed, had, had Peter head right to Cornelius' house and even directed those men right to where Peter was. The Lord can direct you perfectly. I mean, think if you're the one that's living this life right now based on the philosophy of this world. Maybe you grew up believing, oh, evolution is true. We just happen to be here because of a big bang. Maybe you grow, maybe you're, you're there believing in this world, looking at the message saying, well, I guess our morals are just up to us. That there is no actually basis for morality. That whatever each person wants to do, whatever a man wants to do, whatever is good in his own sight, let him do it. And at the same time, you recognize, boy, our culture's falling to pieces. Listen, there are those who are waiting. There are those like Cornelius that have recognized, man, this, I need to know the true God. We have that message. It's us. Just like I implored you on Wednesday night, even when you leave here, grab some tracks to hand out. Be willing to sit down and talk with those. Maybe it's a co-worker who needs to talk. Maybe it's a friend, it's a neighbor. To give that message out. And as I finish, let me remind you, Cornelius was a man who made the decision to believe in the true God, turned from his idolatry and the paganism, but his religion was not enough. It wasn't. It never is. Do you know how many people believe that because they attend church and they think they're basically a good person and they've turned from evil deeds that they're going to be accepted of God? Christ talked about it in Matthew chapter 7. 
multitudes, multitudes hold to that belief. It's not true. The Lord knew, here's this man Cornelius, wanting truth. He responded to the light that was given, and as God does in every single case, since going all the way back since man got expelled from the Garden of Eden, as he does in every single case, when man responds to the light that is given, he always gives more. And he did that for Cornelius. He gave more light. He gave more light. But if you're here today and you think, well, listen, I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good church member or because I've been baptized or or because, you know, I I have have, uh, uh, turned from, from my paganism or my sin. Listen, those are all really good things. And I'm glad. They show a desire for the Lord. But those things in and of themselves cannot save you. You will die one day and stand before Almighty God. And the Bible tells us clearly, when you die and you stand before Him, He will judge you. The problem is you've broken His law. It's, it's just like this. Look at it this way. Let's say there's a criminal out there who, is, who has murdered and robbed and stolen. And, and it takes, and it takes the, the, the authorities one year to catch him. But in that year, he had a change of heart. A genuine change of heart. And he said, I'm not doing that anymore. It's wrong. But he gets arrested a year later. Charged with the crimes that he did commit. When he's standing before the judge and he tells the judge, but listen, uh, during this past year, I left it all. Is the judge going to say, oh, that's good. You're free to go. Or is he going to institute justice? That man's going to prison. That's what's going to take place. Don't forget, the Lord is just. He cannot and will not. That's not changing. The Bible, the first three primary attributes of God given in order of, of how it's presented in prominence in the Bible is number one, God's holiness, His justice, then His love. In order for God to save us, He had to combine all of those. He had to have some way that would satisfy justice and His love. He was not going to remove His justice. Because of love. You know what he did to do that? He knew if you stand before him and God judges you, you're guilty and you will go to hell. He had to do something where you look perfect. So God himself became a man. The Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Understand how important that is because for the first time in all of human history... We have a man that is on this earth that will live the perfect life. See, why is that important? Here's why. So, the only time in all of human, till this day, till time ends, there's only been one man who's ever lived on this earth that lived a perfect life. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means this. There's only been one man in all of eternity that can go to that judgment day and the Father can say this, you're innocent. You're perfect. I find no Now get this. When God lived that perfect life, the Lord Jesus Christ, He did that perfect life for you. When He went to the cross, this is now going to... His life satisfied holiness. The cross is going to satisfy justice. 
and love's going to let it all take place. When he went to the cross, what he did was this. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. He hath made the Lord Jesus Christ to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? He was perfect. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What happened on the cross was this. When he went to the cross, the Father placed upon his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our sin. And he judged him in our place, satisfying justice. Hell did not hold him. After three days and three nights, he rose again from the dead. At the same time that he put your sin upon him and judged him in your place, he gives you, as the verse teaches us, the righteousness of God. His perfect life. So it changes. He takes your sin, he gives you his perfect life so that when you stand before God, it looks as if you are perfect. That's called justification. He did die for you. He took your place in judgment. The wages of sin is death. He took your place. You see, well then, and, and listen, he died for all. But his death is not effectual for all. Because even the Lord Jesus Christ said, few there be that find it. It's when you come to him in repentance and faith. Think of what happened when he, when he was dying. Two men died next to him. Both asked something of him. He ignored one and saved the other. The first one spoke up and said this, If thou be the Christ, get us down. The Bible never records Christ addressing that man at all, not saying one word to him. The other thief speaks up, who's also dying. He speaks first to the other thief, and he says, listen, you need to be quiet. We deserve to be here. But this man right here has done nothing wrong. Think of what he just submitted to. He recognized he was a wretched man and deserved to die on that cross. He also recognized that the man next to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, was perfect. And then he says to the Lord, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Let me pause there. Think of the difference between the two requests. This thief, the second one, never asked to come down from the cross. What was he, what was he afraid of? Judgment. Judgment to come. He knew who he was and how wicked he was. Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. At that moment that he placed his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happened? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He was saved. Right then and there. The moment you repent and place your faith in Christ alone. Don't mix it. Don't add to it. Salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. With heads bowed and eyes closed.